Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, Mike Haslam, Investment Funds Director, talks to Luke Pearce, Investment Strategist, about the last 10 years, what to expect from the next decade, and the cost of waiting to get invested. Welcome to this week's Word on the Street. Uh, I'm joined today by Luke Pearce, a member of the Asset Allocation Team. Thanks for your time today, Luke, for joining us. No problem. So what are we going to cover this week? Well, it's actually been a quiet week. Um, I get the impression that minds are really focused on Christmas and the festive break. Uh, Stock markets are quiet. There's not a lot going on, apart from the odd tweet from President Trump. Uh, So sticking with the the, um, Christmas theme, um, we've got Gavin and Stacey have uh, made a comeback to our TV screens after a 10-year break. I can't believe that, 10 years. Absolutely incredible. Um, And I've been thinking, you know, 10 years on, we're at the end of the decade. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, I've been reading a lot of stuff about kind of looking back over 2019 and forward to next year. But what about the last decade? What about the last 10 years? What can we learn? And will will we have anything like it again over the next 10 years? So, Luke, the last 10 years, what's been occurring? If we look back over the last 10 years, I would call it the never seen before decade. So we've had things like negative interest rates. QE. We haven't had a recession, um, a, a global recession. We've had consistently low inflation. And we've also had this remarkable run on stock markets, Luke. Yeah. Um, nice Gavin and Stacey reference as well there, Mike. Actually, I was a little bit disappointed. Uh, Me too. By, yeah, very, so, yeah. very. Uh, what a cliffhanger as well. <laughs> but no, you're right. It's been a, a pretty remarkable decade in kind of you know, many different ways, politically, economically, but as you point out, particularly you know, for stock markets. And I think it's kind of a decade that very few would have predicted, you know, particularly when you think back and sort of coming off the back of you know, the great financial crisis in, in 08 and 09 and, and the scars that kind of were inflicted on investors then. But if you kind of just look at stock returns since then, in the US, you've had kind of low to mid double digit returns annually. Uh, US has really been the standout performer there. If you kind of look outside the US, um, you kind of have mid to high single digits uh, again annually. Um, and when you think about, you know, if you look back at some of the events that really have occurred along the way, you know, there's been plenty of reasons you know, for investors to, you know, have sat on the sidelines and, and watched that go by. Yeah, that's that's really important because when you when you look back over the last ten years in newspapers, look at look at the front page headlines. They're always full of doom and gloom. Things like the next recession, the trade war, the Greek crisis, the taper tantrum, the second Greek crisis, Brexit, North Korea, impeachment, etc., etc., etc. There always seems to be a reason to be gloomy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, obviously, we we unfortunately don't have time time to go through kind of all of these, and, and you know those are just you know some some of the big ones. You know, you probably. Have a whole podcast dedicated as to reasons why you shouldn't invest, shouldn't have invested over the last decade. But you know, I think the, the point we make for for investors, you know, who did manage to get invested at the beginning of the decade and kind of managed to tune out, you know, a lot of a lot of you know what turned out to be noise at the time and kind of you know not succumb to that, you know, that ever sort of persistent doomsday narrative that, as you point out, does does often get perpetuated in the media. You know, they they have reaped the rewards for doing so now. You know, can we kind of expect more of the same over the next decade? Um, obviously, that's that's the million dollar question. You know, for for our part, we still think that stock markets, you know, are a pretty good good bet for long term investors. Uh, but it is probably wise to temper our our expectations slightly. I think I think Will's talked about this uh, on on previous episodes as well. But 
if you kind of look at this run for stock markets, um, it has really been supported by by the underlying fundamentals. So if you look at earn, corporate earnings, you know, corporate cash flows, they have also risen, you know, alongside stock markets. Um, but, you know, admittedly, we, we have seen valuations uh, creep up a little bit. So valuations creeping up after 10 years, you know, stock markets going up. Things are more expensive today than they were ten years ago. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and kind of when you when you look at the the implications of this, you know, a lot a lot of the research, including some of some of our own research, shows that you know, generally speaking, you know, higher valuations, you know, today generally lead to to lower uh, lower returns in the future. Now, I'll sort of be the first to caveat that that this relationship it's not a strict kind of one for one relationship. Uh, and there's you know there's been plenty of exceptions to to this rule. Uh, and there certainly certainly will be exceptions uh, going forward. Uh, and actually, interestingly, um, or, or perhaps not, there there are actually reasons why you might expect you know structurally higher valuations today. You know, you think back to how the the composition of the stock market has has changed over the last ten years. It's now sort of dominated by by a lot of tech companies, which which tend to have higher valuations. Uh, and you know, high valuations is you know it's a far cry from saying don't get invested as well. Uh, but as, as I said earlier, I think it does probably make sense to to kind of lower our expectations slightly, especially when you kind of compare to to the decade just gone. Got it. So despite slightly more expensive valuations today, um, stocks are still a good bet for the long term investor. Uh, so let's move away from the stock market and turn our attention to the economy. Um, so other than not having a recession for the last ten years, one of the things that's really stood out for me is is the lack of inflation that we see across. Well, uh, across the entire developed country kind of um, spectrum, do you feel we are likely to see another decade of low inflation? And what implication would this have for investors? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. I think I think the lack of inflation uh, across developed countries has, has actually really been a, a surprise to many, uh, you know, particularly uh, to those um, economists uh, at the beginning of the decade who, um, after kind of central banks enacted, you know, quite extraordinary monetary policies like quantitative easing, a, a lot of economists, you know, were causing for for hyperinflation. Even I remember, I remember, I remember uh, when rates went to zero or virtually zero in the US. There were headlines and more doom and gloom, you know, casting our mind back to Germany in the nineteen twenties with hyperinflation at many thousands of percent. It was it, it all looked pretty terrifying. Yeah, a lot time. a lot of sensationalist uh, calls at, at the time, which um, you know since then have have obviously kind of proven proven to be to be false. Um, you know, I, I must admit, I'd be very brave to to kind of forecast what the next decade of inflation will look like. But if you kind of look at what markets are expecting, um, they're really kind of expecting not much. So kind of more of the same of, of what we've seen this this decade. And it's quite an interesting expectation, I think, because uh, particularly kind of where we're at in uh, in the uh, economic cycle at the moment. So historically, what, what you found is that there's always been this relationship between unemployment and inflation. Uh, and that relationship basically says that as uh, unemployment falls, labor becomes uh, more scarce, and so workers demand higher wages. And eventually, those kind of higher wages um, feed through into sort of uh, businesses increasing their pricing, and, and then you you kind of get inflation. Now, if you look at where we are today, we are kind of in or, in or around you know record levels of unemployment uh, actually across a lot of a lot of developed countries uh, as well. Um, and wages are rising at a reasonable pace, uh, but we aren't seeing the inflation that you might expect kind of based off of that kind of historical uh, relationship. And as I said, markets aren't really expecting this this either. Now, 
this might sound a little boring, but it actually has a quite quite large uh, or quite large implications for investors. Um, now, what what low inflation basically does, it, it kind of acts as an anchor to to government bond yields. So, um, if you think back, for example, to to the kind of late seventies or, or early eighties, where you had inflation pretty much out of out of control, what you found then was investors were demanding a, a much a, you know a pretty hefty yield on those government bonds to, in order to lock in those fixed rates. Now you look, inflation is kind of reasonably low and there's very little fear of uh, you know, the inflation of the kind of 70s or 80s kind of returning. So you know, investors today are much happier to kind of lock in uh, those lower yields today. Now, what implication does that have? Well, the kind of yield that you get on your government bond, that is a pretty good proxy or a pretty good rule of thumb for, for the kind of return you can expect uh, going forward on your government bond. So you see low inflation, lower government bond yields, and generally speaking, kind of lower returns on, on government bonds going forward. Okay, so so bonds today are priced for lower returns, i.e. lower yield going forward. Uh, does it therefore still make sense to own bonds? Yeah, I think absolutely. Government bonds, you know, still definitely have a, a role to play in, in portfolios. Um, you know, if, if you kind of even think back to this year, the, the return on government bonds has been, you know, pretty pretty phenomenal. I think I think there's kind of two points that, that um, uh, to make here. So, first of all, you, you kind of need to consider the alternatives uh, when it, when it comes to your investments. So, if you look at where you know government bond yields might be lower today, the cash rates are also lower, uh, and so you know as long as you still think you're expecting a return above what you would, you would get on, on your cash rates, then you know, it still certainly makes sense to have an allocation there. I think the second point, and perhaps the, the kind of more important point that we'd make as well, is you get the diversification benefits from your government bonds to your kind of equity exposure. So if you think about the role the government bonds play in your portfolio, it's really kind of there to protect investors you know, during times of stress or panic, and during those times, you often find that your, your kind of equity investments will experience kind of shorter term losses. So having some government bond exposure in your portfolios can kind of help smooth returns of your portfolios. And that, that generally finds, uh, you, you find that that will give you probably a better chance of actually sticking uh, with your investments and, and kind of hopefully achieving, you know, your long, long term goals. Interestingly, in the short term, actually, uh, kind of if you think about our view on government bonds at the moment, we do actually think government bonds look a little expensive uh, at the moment. Uh, that is very much a short-term view, though. So, you know, in portfolios, we we do own currently a little less than than we otherwise would. But you know, we for we, we still think there's you know they have a part to play as part of a long-term allocation for for investors. Okay, so we've talked about how this decade has been remarkable for stock markets, and this year in particular, you know, 2019 has been an exceptional year for um, global stock markets. Uh, now, I'm a long-term investor. My goal is to invest for 10 years and beyond. But I guess the most difficult part, really, is making that first plunge. When you're making your, your first ever you know, kind of investment into the market, and when I see markets up 20-odd percent in just in one year, I think to myself, have I missed the boat? Should I be waiting for markets to sell off a little bit first before I invest? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, I think it's one that, that a lot of investors uh, are currently grappling grappling with right now and it's also you know actually you can go back at many points in the last few years and, and kind of have asked yourself the, you know the same question you know it makes a lot of sense on on the face of you know markets have gone up a lot recently surely surely they're due for some sort of pullback uh, and whenever we, this sort of question crops up i'm always actually reminded of, of a quote from from peter lynch who's a successful famous investor uh, and when he was asked this he said 
uh, more money has been lost by investors anticipating corrections rather than the, the corrections themselves. That's a, that's, a, that's a fantastic quote. So that's basically saying investors sitting on the sidelines, waiting for markets to fall, waiting for the fall, waiting the fall, and it never comes and they've just lost out. Exactly, exactly. I think, you know, if you could, if you could summarize the, the quote uh, and the, the point that we would make is that, you know, market timing is incredibly difficult to do. Uh, and, you know, the, the team's done actually quite a, quite a lot of research on this, because uh, as I said, it's, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of clients, you know, are, are facing this question today. And, you know, the, the data shows that the odds are really, really stacked against you, you know, by not getting uh, invested on, on day one. And just to, I suppose, bring this to life a little bit and, and give you some, some numbers or figures, you know, for example, let's say, you know, your strategy or, or your, sorry, you're seeing equity markets, you know, hit all time highs, as they are now, and as we talked about, you know, you're understandably hesitant to get invested. You know, you want to wait for the markets to fall a little bit. You know, find a more attractive uh, entry point. And now, let's say your strategy is to uh, wait for a 10% fall in prices, which is chunky. That's yeah, reasonable. quite a chunky. Yeah, uh, let's just say, yeah, 10% is obviously a, a little rounded, but let, let's stick with it for for now. Let's say that's your strategy um, uh, before getting invested, right? So you want to wait for that fall before getting invested. Well. What you can actually do is look at how that strategy would have fared uh, going back in history, and this is exactly what we've we've done in a, in, a, in the research that we've done. So, if you look at all the returns from such a strategy for all the possible starting months, they're giving uh, since 1970. You can compare the returns you get from that strategy versus just simply getting invested uh, on day one. And what you find, um, and this is this is really staggering. The, the first time I looked at these numbers is what you find is that historically you would have been twice as likely to lose out by not getting invested straight away. And then when you look at the average return forfeited by not getting invested on day one, it's just shy of, of 30%. So, you know, per- personally, um, I sort of understand the emotional difficulty and the hesitance of, of not getting invested, but you know, I'm not um, not convinced that, that, that not getting invested because markets are hitting all-time highs is a is a particularly strong argument staggering numbers there but it's not just about the numbers because uh, i guess is the whole emotional part about getting invested as well so if you're sitting on the sidelines waiting for markets to fall 10 percent, say and then all of a sudden that fall comes and you're sitting there and you're thinking right i'm getting ready to invest and what you're seeing is stock markets are falling they're down eight percent nine percent ten percent the uh, uh the doom and gloom appears on the front page of the press you know markets in meltdown then you know just how difficult is it then to invest once you see these uh, these uh, market falls in action? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Obviously, the, the numbers don't sort of um, you know illustrate the the emotional difficulty of kind of trying to get invested. And as you point out, you know the, the sentiment and the narrative, particularly amongst the media, can change very very quickly, uh, particularly after after markets fall. And that you know undoubtedly throws up you know many sort of reasons not to get invested. You know we we mentioned you know uh, half a dozen uh, to a dozen earlier. Um, that, that have just happened this decade, but you know. But I think the thing to to try and remember is, you know, there will always be a reason not to get invested. Uh, and I think you know, it's possibly verging on, on a little philosophical here. But the, the way I think about it, at least, is, um, you know, the, the reason that you can kind of expect to earn a return, you know, above what you might get, say, from stashing your your cash in a bank account, is that you know there is that element of risk. There is that that element of uncertainty. Now. Kind of obviously me just saying this doesn't sort of reduce that emotional burden of, of trying to get invested. Um, we're obviously you know all human after all, but 
um, I think we should try, you know, where, where we can as much as possible to, to base our investment decisions on, on probabilities and evidence. I think both of those, particularly when it comes to, to kind of timing the market, suggest that actually you know, getting invested and staying invested from, from day one is typically the, the best scenario. Okay, so let me summarise here. Let's, let's draw this to a close. Quick summary. So we've had an extraordinary last 10 years. We've had lots and lots of never-seen-it-before phenomenon, such as QE, which has really helped drive and push, push stock markets on. Um, what's coming over the next 10 years? Don't know. Who knows? Um, hopefully another Gavin and Stacey to finish off what we saw on uh, Christmas Day. But it, you know, things like QE, you know, may, maybe there are other kind of economic policy within the next 10 years, which, which just doesn't exist yet. Who knows? Um, but the important thing is, I guess, while the newspapers focus on all the doom and gloom, when's the next recession, all that kind of stuff, I guess the best thing to do as a long-term investor is just kind of um, avoid all that, just get invested. And I kind of think, I wonder, Luke, if you and I will be sit here, sitting here in 10 years' time having having exactly the same conversation. Very likely. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Anyway, let's, let's draw it to a close there. Luke, thank you very much for your time today. To all our listeners, have a great 2020, and we will be back next week with another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.